0: welcome to episode four of Air Talks ESG, your monthly podcast from the UK's risk and insurance community, and this year all focus on trends in environmental, social and governance topics within our profession. So far in this series, we have heard from AXA XL's Sean McGovern discussing the broader picture for the London market regarding ESG, and then we had Aon's Kieran Healy discussing the unique role captive insurance companies could be playing in supporting their parents' own ESG betterment initiatives. In our last episode, I was joined by Simon Edwards, technical parametric underwriter at Generali Global Corporate and Commercial, with him focusing on how ESG principles can begin to be integrated into a corporate strategy, and specifically the role of parametric policies in handling some of the associated risks. Our next guest, I am pleased to say, takes a much more focused risk and governance perspective of the ESG topic and how to internalise and importantly operationalise a vision that has been set out by the board or senior leadership of the corporation. Emma Arnold is a director based in London, leading control risks environmental practice for Europe, Middle East and Africa, which forms part of its wider global ESG consulting team. So, Emma, great to have you on to the Emmet Talks ESG podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background?
1: Yeah, certainly. Thanks for having me here today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Uh, so I'm an um, environmental consultant. I've been in the industry for some 25 years now, advising clients on a whole range of topics, starting out primarily um, in the environmental sector, because that's what ESG was back then. Um, and then more in the last of so five years or so, looking at a wider range of ESG, topics for investors, such as private equity houses, funds, um, and then corporations themselves.
0: So it's fair to say you're not someone who's come into ESG late. You've kind of been involved in that area for 20 odd years
1: yeah a long time Um, and it's been a great career I've seen lots of issues across the full spectrum of of ESG which is um, as everyone knows a massive umbrella of topics
0: and suddenly it's the cool thing to be involved with (laughs)
1: yeah it does seem to be that way yeah everyone wants to um, be involved in ESG in some way shape or form
0: Well, it's really great to have you on because you obviously do come more from that kind of governance risk side of the conversation. And our three episodes to date have been much more insurance focused with insurers or or Aon, the broker. So let's first start talking about risk assessments in, in this context. So what role do risk assessments have to play when helping to make sure companies who are, Maybe promising or suggesting they're going to start some very well-meaning betterment initiatives on this topic. What, what role do those risk assessments have to have to play at the, at the outset of those promises being made?
1: Well, I think risk assessments are critically important because if you don't understand the risks um, posed to your business, um, you can't really address them firstly and control them, but also understand what opportunities are out there. Because ESG isn't just about the kind of the risk that it poses to your business. It's also about the opportunities that it creates. But you've really got to understand what it means for your business. So I think what I what I struggle with with some clients understanding is they think, oh, you know, they ask for an ESG product and ESG it isn't the same for every company. So if you're a mining company, your ESG issues are going to be completely different to if you are manufacturing fast-moving consumer goods, or if you're a services company like like Control risks, for example.
0: The, the term greenwashing is obviously used a lot, and there's lots of uh, news stories out there reflecting on it. And it's something that always crops up in my mind when I'm having any conversations about ESG of anyone, is where is the real motivation coming from? And you know how carefully are people measuring if they're delivering what they're promising? So if those initiatives that have been promised aren't being delivered What are the risks that companies need to be mindful of?
1: I think that one of the key risks is their loss of reputation. Um, And we're getting more and more clients ask us about various topics. From a lot of investment managers are now kind of using their voting rights to influence the way that businesses are being run. They could lose their social license to operate, which is quite an important, particularly for mining companies. We're seeing that come more and more of a risk. They could their share price could influence their share prices brand and reputation and i think the you know, use of social media now um, more and more kind of people are putting stuff out there on social media around brands that that they want to purchase you're seeing these kind of ratings crop up a hundredfold really there's there's more and more esg not i'm not talking about the sustainalytics and the kind of ecometrics out there i'm talking about the ones where you know i'm seeing students create uh, ratings on products um, to influence the sort of, next generation of Purchases.
0: But how do companies avoid that problem, though? How, how, do you, how do you work with companies to make sure that if they are promising something, they are actually delivering it? What needs to be happening internally to make sure that they follow up on, on the promises they're making?
1: That's key. So it all comes down to um, policies and procedures within the company. So I think you've got to start right at the top, firstly. So so the, the board shouldn't just give lip service to ESG. It's got to live and breathe it, which is, comes back to kind of my earlier point in the ESG needs to be meaningful to your company so it needs to reflect your 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 values and your purpose as a company um, which is why it's not a once one size fits all kind of ESG product so depending on your values and your purpose you can give it real power you know so for some companies they're very you know they're really passionate about diversity and inclusion others it'll be about resource management um, so that it, it really doesn't matter kind of what the issues are so you start with kind of your values and your purpose and and, and what's important to your business you then um, generally undertake a materiality assessment so you're looking at um, what are those material ESG issues to your company um, so as I said previously it's going to be different for every single company um, and SASB has created a, a great if you don't know where to start they've they've kind of ranked a lot of industries and kind of done the materiality assessment or started it off for you but again you've got to make that meaningful to your business and then look at the stakeholders in your business um, so once you've kind of out all the material issues you then get down to risk assessment and i think this is where it tends to fall apart and where we're getting a lot of clients ask us to support is and that's in the operationalization of those esg yeah. metrics so you know once you've got your material issues you've set some kpis you've set your direction for your company how do you then operationalize that particularly if you're an enterprise wide company and you've got multiple offices um, geographies maybe different companies under your umbrella it starts to get really difficult so that's where you've really got to make sure that it's it's embedded into your system so we're looking at quite a lot of companies with their enterprise um, risk management systems and their you know operational risk management looking at how they're dealing with those material topics taking it down through through those risk management procedures in the company and making sure it's really embedded and another place where companies take tend to fall down quite a bit is just giving it to the responsibility of one person or one department. So thinking that, okay, if they don't have an ESG department, which quite a lot of companies don't, they might have environmental health and safety department or a sustainability department. And they might just say, okay, we're gonna give you ownership of, of ESG. And that's where it falls apart because really it needs to be every department.
0: I was going to ask that, should companies have an ESG department or should it be, fl- as you said, it should be touching every single part of the co- If it's a company vision and a company policy or a company aim, then it should kind of filter through everything that everyone's doing in, in different ways.
1: It should do. I think you still need to have that responsibility, though. So okay. you need to have somebody um, on the board that is, is responsible for driving this forward. And, it, and, you know, you have that that clear responsibility. So you have the kind of right committees going through. And then so you're filtering it down from the board through, through the different regions and through subcommittees. So you need to have that kind of governance structure. Um, and then each and every ESG topic area will probably have its own governance structure. And some are more mature than others. So, um, for example, health and safety has been around for a long time. So a lot of companies, because of the legal nature of health and safety, have got that um, structure in place. Um, and generally that's run through kind of an ISO management system, for example. So, and same with environmental topics. If, if they're more, a more mature company, they might have a ISO 14001, for example. And that will pick up a lot of these sort of environmental topics. And then what we're seeing come, coming through now, now, particularly with the new legislation, is, is the social and human rights risk assessments.
0: It's interesting what you say about, obviously, the key to all of this is defining at the very beginning what ESG means to you and, and where you think you can improve as a company or, or have an impact as a company on your own performance or rating in, in, in the ESG context. And that really does match up quite a lot with what Kieran Healy Aon was saying in our in our captive episode of ESG. Because again, he was saying ESG is different for every company. There'll be different ways that their insurance can play a role in helping finance or support their transition or whatever their ESG initiatives are, are geared towards. So when you have seen it work well, at a company you mentioned there that maybe a a board member should have some responsibility so does it need to filter in does it need to filter down from the very beginning do you need to have that kind of big senior level kind of board sponsor of the initiative or board sponsor of the um, I think you really do
1: yeah I think you really do I mean I've seen it work both ways I've seen it driven from the bottom up which is good because it's it's great to have the bottom up level of your company passionate about about this topic but if that doesn't have board level support it can come unstuck when you're going for capital expenditure for example for a particular project it won't get that sponsorship so you need to kind of have the top down bottom up approach for it to to really work well and then for it to be a cultural change Throughout your your business, and that's also where I think coming back to my earlier point is the the data and metrics is really key. So once you've set your vision and your objectives, um, you know generally that comes with some KPIs around those issues. Whether or not you disclose those KPIs is up to you as a company. Yep. Some some you have to mandatorily disclose, but others you might choose not to, and that's fine. Um, but you still need the means to m- monitor that data. Um, internally in your in your business, which is why, again, a lot of companies we're we're seeing and advising are struggling with I suppose the data management around that and the kind of systems that are needed. And then that comes back to my earlier point and your point of who needs to be involved, and it's pretty much everyone because you're touching on procurement, you're touching on HR, you're touching on um, environmental health and safety or sustainability uh, operations yeah. <laughs> so it really does need to systems thinking approach um, and then looking at the data requirements in that way and whether or not you need a you know a fancy software system to do that for you or whether you do it on an excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. it really depends on the size of your company and we see whole range.
0: So Control Risk is obviously a, a global organisation with clients based all around, literally all around the world. I've got to know Control Risk quite well over the last few years and I think it's a fascinating organisation. Do you work with clients from all over different parts of the world and, and do you see a difference in how they're trying to tackle this or, or whether they're even interested? Because from my main conversations on the risk side of uh, risk insurance side of this is in Europe, it's a big topic. In the US, they're kind of being dragged, kicking and screaming. that That's my opinion of what I've experienced of it, or the general attitude towards the issue topic is still a bit standoffish. Do you think there's regionally there's different approaches to this or different uh, em- levels of embrace of this?
1: It definitely, It's definitely different regionally, because I think the drivers are different regionally. But I think... In terms of how it's getting embedded into companies, generally, again, I'm seeing that driven from the top. So if the, if the, whether you're in the US or Europe, if your board level members um, that are coming to us care about this topic and see the value of this topic to their business, then it doesn't matter whether you're in the US or Europe. You've also got overlain that the different the regulatory kind of changes that are you know just rapid. I think yeah. I think over the last twenty years we've seen an exponential rise in um, well environmental and and social regulation. That's so companies are really grappling with trying to understand the mandatory requirements of ESG, let alone some of the kind of non-mandatory
0: yeah um, and some of that i mean the us is the great example i think it was earlier this year or the end of last year the sec now requiring those climate disclosures be put on there now it doesn't specifically mention esg from what i know but requiring climate disclosures obviously opens up a huge risk to companies because they might be tempted to overstate their their positive impact or maybe understate their negative impact in those climate disclosures which will be opening them up to litigation risks, as, as you've mentioned.
1: And we're seeing, you know, we, we, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place yeah. quite a lot of the time, because if they don't disclose, they'll get crit, you know, criticism for their lack of disclosure. And if they do disclose, then they, they do open up themselves to risk that if they haven't operationalised those risks, then they could un- come unstuck. Um, which is why we're seeing a lot of uptake in a, a, what we're calling our boots, boots to boardroom approach. So actually going out using our network of offices throughout the world to really really go out you know boots on the ground look at these operations from whatever topic um, you know so it might be a human rights topic it might be environmental topic but actually supporting clients with their teams on the ground look at how these these issues are being operationalized you know at a a site in Nigeria for example or or America you know it doesn't really matter where it is in the world and then look at how that's being taken up through the organization to really check that what they're saying at board level is actually what's going on on the ground and I've seen my my kind of 20 years of auditing has you know you know what goes on you know as you walk through the gates of that site isn't necessarily what is getting put out there in the glossy documents yeah. so and that's a risk.
0: Well talking about what's getting put out there in glossy documents M&A is another area that um, you you do quite a bit of work in. How much do you see ESG, the ESG topic, ESG discussions cropping up in those kind of Due diligence processes during a merger or acquisition
1: all the time now. I mean, I, I guess they're coming to us because they're wanting ESG. So I guess that's um, but more and more, um, it, particularly for the big private equity houses, we're doing a lot of ESG due diligence, looking at a whole whole range of topics. So, like I said a while back, you know what we look at and where we do our deep dive will really depend on the type of business. So, uh, you know, if it's a food business, it, it's going to be a lot different to. if if it's a mining business but we're really using our knowledge of our different geographical regions and we have um, a global risk analysis team that helps us really understand you know what's happening in those regions and what's what esg topics are pertinent in those geographies and then we use that with our deep dive due diligence to to provide really useful feedback to clients in that due diligence process which is often kind of fast paced
0: and again it will vary in terms of the priority that a buying entity is putting on the esg their own esg awareness their own esg mission now it doesn't yeah. surprise you that private equity houses are more interested in this when they're looking at uh, acquisition acquisition yeah, and, I, and
1: I, I like to ask um my my, my clients a question of, sort of what you know what are the top three esg topics that they are concerned about and you know see how that's changing over time as i'm as i'm you know talking to them and and i think from a recent one um which is a sort of global infrastructure investor um he said to me that it climate carbon you know how they're how they're tackling kind of that net zero roadmap journey and whether they're doing it to science-based target that's that's obviously topic one and then health and safety big one I think that's always going to be there because of the uh, sort of the legal implications of getting that wrong and then interestingly DE&I has come up through the yeah. agenda um so so companies are really interested in in kind of the management of DE&I during their investments which which I've I've found really really nice to see actually
0: does the does the why question matter when when a client comes to you and says we're interested in in delivering on or coming up with an ESG vision for the company and then delivering it does it does it matter to you or to the process what their motivations are because you know to be quite candid the motivation could be we think it's going to improve the financial performance of the company we think you know obviously it'll attract more investment because we're acting positively sometimes the why might be a softer well we actually do want to just be a good company and a good corporate citizen uh to use a few cliches Does, does 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 that matter do you think the the why And then does it, does it, does different wise lead to better or worse outcomes?
1: I think it does. I always, I always look at the kind of what I call the so what principle when I'm writing um, the report. So when we're finding an ESG issue during due diligence, so what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know that's what we always ask ourselves you know why, why does this matter and and you'll have a like you said, there's a variety of different whys whys to that some you know some matter from a legal perspective, so obviously very yeah. material to the business, um, others are a reputational issue. Um, so again, that could have a legal, legal connotation or it could, it could not, it could be a brand and reputation issue. Um, so we tend to kind of map out when we do our due diligence, all of the issues, you know, what the opportunities, whether it's an opportunity to the company. So somewhere where they could um, influence the, the target company to change their business practices slightly in order to be more efficient, let's say, which yeah. is going to um, have an impact on their bottom line, which is an opportunity. And this could be really simple things like energy efficiency. We're still seeing, even though I'd have thought that a lot of companies would have you know, got this in hand. We're still seeing many companies that haven't done simple things like put LEDs in their like in yeah. their light fittings, for example. Yeah, you know, a lot lot just, of easy wins there. A lot of a lot of low-hanging fruit that is there. Mm. So we so we identify those low-hanging fruit that is you know, simple changes, but actually, you know, if you're scaling up over an enterprise-wide company, they have a a big impact on on the bottom line. And then some of the bigger ticket items that are going to take um, a longer time to implement.
0: So just finally, I think we've probably touched on this a little bit already, but in terms of the risks to corporate leadership, in another hat that i wear i do a lot of i do a directors and officers podcast which is again kind of insurance focused. we talk a lot about risk mitigation and we have had some an episode on on the esg risks. so for you what are the the key risks that corporate leadership directors and officers need to be really mindful of in terms of those potential gaps in what people are promising and and, and what's not being delivered
1: i think it's know what it means to your business like we've said a lot during this podcast um esg isn't a one size fits all so know what esg means for your business and understand the risks to your business um, now as a director you might delegate those down to a different department but you should still be aware of what they are and how they're being managed within your business and if the, if you've got kpis it, making sure that they're kind of tabled being really careful about pledges and signatories i think yep. i think this really resonated recently when i said this but pledges and signatures are great they're a great way to improve things within your business but if you're using them as solely lip service you need to be really careful because you are going to get found out so i would say make the pledges make the signatures but make sure that they're operationalized make sure that they they're really taken down throughout your business so that someone somewhere is not going to come back and and catch you out
0: i think the key word come out of all of this discussion has been operationalized yes and we'll try and get that into the episode title as well but that's been a really really fascinating discussion emma thank you uh, so much for coming on to emmet um, talk csg
1: no problem thank you